Good morning, everyone. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Corey Miller, and I'm one of the youth ministers here at Middletown. I was actually a student intern here um, before I went to seminary, and then I've been back here since September. And I have to say that I'm excited to be here with you all this morning. These last few weeks have been a whirlwind. We were in Disney World, then when we got back from that, we took a group of elementary school students to a kids camp. And then after that, we went to a mission trip to Nashville with our high school students. And last week, we were at Holiday World with some of our middle schoolers. So I have to say that although it's been a whirlwind, I'm glad to be here because being here means I'm not convincing third grade boys that showering is important. <laughs> and so as you all know, for these last few weeks, we've been walking through the book of John chapter by chapter. And today we're on John chapter 6. But before I read the story, I want you all to know where we're going with this. So I'm going to read the verse at the end of the story first. And it says, When the people saw the signs that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he withdrew again to the mountains by himself. Now, as I was reading this story, I kept coming back to that verse over and over again. And I kept coming back to this idea that Jesus is doing something new. Jesus is introducing something new to the world. This idea that Jesus is calling us to play a whole new ballgame. We'll get back to that in a second. First, the story comes from John 6, 1 through 15, and it reads like this. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? So Jesus is asking his disciples, now what? We have all these hungry people, what do we do now? And I love the answers that his disciples give. The first answer says we don't have enough. It says, you know, Jesus, just tithing's not the same this year. It says we don't have the budget. You know, we could just do another capital campaign, but we just finished one for the children's wing not that long ago, and we don't want to bug our people too much. And then Jesus wasn't satisfied with that, so that led the next disciple to speak up and throw this little boy in his lunch under the bus. And then he tells Jesus, you know, this kid has five loaves and two fish, and that's the best we can do, and still even that is nowhere near what we need. But the story continues. Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in that place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. And here's the part we read at the beginning. 
When the people saw the signs that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountains by himself. So I started playing rugby my senior year of high school. I had the opportunity to then go on and play for Western Kentucky University and then for the University of Louisville. And as you all know, rugby is not a sport that most kids play growing up. So at UofL, we relied heavily on converting other athletes to come and play our game. We had swimmers, we had track stars, we had an NCAA champion tennis player who quickly became one of the best players on our team. And we had a lot of football players come out and try to play. They had the aggression, they had the speed, they had the strength, but while I was there, none of them ever made the team. They couldn't get over the biggest hurdle in their way. And that hurdle was teaching them that we weren't playing football anymore. We were playing rugby. The biggest problem we had was getting them out of their old ideas, their old set of rules, their old way of understanding, and moving them into a new game. We were playing a new game and they just couldn't leave the old one. I think about one football player in particular who actually made it into a game with us. We were playing Ohio State and on his very first tackle, he knocked himself out. (laughs) Despite all the drilling, all the practices, and everything we had done, when it came time to, to do it, he went right back to his old game and tackled using his head, which is a no-no in rugby, and he knocked himself out. In our story from John, I can't help but picture Jesus being this type of game changer. He enters the world, and he lives a life. He teaches lessons that are totally different from what everybody knows. It was a whole new ball game, and nobody knew what to do with it. Look at what we've already talked about in John up to this point. Rabbis don't go to weddings and turn water into wine to keep the party going. Why on earth would Jesus have spent time with that Samaritan woman? Why would he have given her that moment in that conversation when the old rules said that she was so much beneath him? Why would Jesus have healed that ungrateful, paralyzed man, and especially done it on a day when we weren't supposed to be working? It's because he was doing something different. He was changing the game. He was playing a whole new ball game. John's gospel is going out of its way to tell us that the old understanding no longer works. The old rules, the old game, it no longer matters. John's gospel goes out of its way to say, for God so loved the world. Doesn't say for God so loved me. Doesn't say for God so loved the people that think like me. It doesn't say for God so loved the Jews or for God so loved the Romans. It says for God so loved everyone. For God so loved the entire world. It is screaming to us that Jesus is a game changer. Jesus is doing something different. Jesus is inviting us to a new game. Jesus wants us to stop thinking about football and start playing this new sport that's here for the taking. So in our story for today, what's the old game and what's the new games? The first old game is the game of obstacles and the game of scarcity. They are confronted with a real human need of hunger in our story. And what's their response? 
Well, we don't have enough. They look at all the things they don't have. They say we don't have enough money, we don't have enough food, we don't have enough innovative ideas. But Jesus answers them with a new game. And he says, I don't care about your obstacles. I care about your opportunity. I don't care that it might be difficult to feed all of these people. I care that you have the opportunity to feed them. He says, I don't care about your scarcity. I care about your abundance. Don't think about how you don't have enough. Think about what you do have and what you can do with that. And I love out of this story with all of the adults in it, who stepped up? The little boy. He said, here's what I have. You can have this. Use this. He was looking at the opportunity, and he was not being weighed down by the obstacles. The little boy was already starting to play the new game when no one else got it. Another old game that we see in this last verse that I've read a few times now is this old game of consumption. When the crowd saw all that Jesus had done, all of the miracles that he was performing, what was their first response? They wanted to make him king. And not only that, they wanted to make him king by force. But Jesus says that the new game requires you to do something else beyond just consuming the miracles. The new, ga- new game requires you to be contributors to the kingdom of God. And this is one of the whole problems throughout the book of John. They just want to turn religion into what they can get. They desperately want to consume the miracles, but they're missing the larger point. Jesus is saying you have to be contributors. You have to be a part of the good and the beauty in the world. The last old game I want to point out is the old game of power. You see, the crowd that Jesus was talking to were a conquered people. They had been waiting and waiting for someone to come and overthrow their oppressors and bring them into the power that they thought they deserved. But Jesus messed everything up. He said, I don't care about your old game. The old game would have said that power is delivered by force. But Jesus wasn't a power through strength kind of king. In his new game, he said that power is delivered by servanthood. He's a power through service kind of king. Throughout the Gospels, he constantly did things like this. He washed people's feet. He said the first will be last and the last will be first. And you can tell by the crowd's response that they were still playing the old game. They still didn't get it. They thought that it took someone who was extraordinary, someone who was a king to deliver this power. But Jesus said it takes the ordinary to do it and that you and I can do this. You and me can change the world, but first we have to understand the new game that Jesus is playing. They wanted a king with a crown of gold, and Jesus gave them a king with a crown of thorns. It's no wonder that they killed him. They never got out of their game. They couldn't stop playing the game of violence and the game of fear. Even the disciples didn't get it. After they crucified him, what did they do? They ran. They hid. They were still playing by their old rules. The new game's hard. So my question is this, what old game are you still playing? Are you still playing the game of accumulation? The game that says, all I need is that bigger house. All I need is that higher paying job. All I need is that next car. 
Are you still playing the game of preservation? The game that says, as long as I take care of myself, I'm good. That's all that matters. You still playing the old game of power? The game that's willing to step on people and marginalize people for our own game? Or are you playing the game of the divine? The game that Jesus laid out for us. There's an author and a lawyer by the name of Bob Goff that I love. He has a book called Love Does where he tells all of these stories about his life. And there's one story in particular I want to share. It's a story that takes place on the morning of September 11th. He pulled his kids out of school because he wanted to debrief the day with them. And he sat them around their kitchen table and he asked them. He said, if you had five minutes in front of a group of world leaders, what would you say? What would you do? What would you ask? So they thought about it. And now the youngest son who was eight spoke up first and said, I've got it. He said, we should invite all the world leaders over to our house for a sleepover. Because if you have a sleepover with somebody, you can't be angry at them anymore, and you have to be their friend. So his next son, who was 10, said, well, that's just not practical. We don't have that big of a house. So he said, a much more practical option is we should go and visit all of the world leaders. He said, we can ask them what their hopes are, what their dreams are, what their goals are. And that way, when one country does something another country doesn't understand, instead of getting mad and fighting, they can look at these lists of goals and figure out how they can work together. His 12-year-old daughter said, I like the idea of going to visit, but instead of writing it all down, we should film it, and we should send everybody this DVD so they can just click on the country they want to learn about. So Bob thought about it, and he said, okay, so let's try this. So he sat his kids around a computer, and he had him type out a letter addressed to every single world leader. And it said, we are 8, 10, and 12 years old. We are from California, and we want to come be your friend. They then got on the CIA website, and they downloaded every address to every president, every prime minister, every dictator, every world leader. They then went to the post office, and they got a P.O. box, because Bob thought it would be a good idea if these world leaders didn't know where he lived. And they sent out this letter. Bob told his kids, if anybody says yes, we're going to go. So it had been a few weeks when they got their first letter back from Prime Minister Tony Blair of England. It said, you know, hip, hip, cheerio, what a jolly good idea this is, and all kinds of other British things. But it said no. They got more and more letters that said thanks, but no thanks. And then one day they got a letter from Bulgaria. It said yes. They got a letter from Switzerland that said yes. They got a letter from Israel that said yes. When it was all said and done, they had 29 yeses from world leaders. So Bob sold his new family truck. He pulled his kids out of school for two and a half months, and they went on a world adventure. He told all of these stories about meeting with these world leaders. He said that it was always funny that the world leaders would be expecting questions on the economy or on foreign policy Um, or on some war, and his kids would just be like, so, what's your favorite color? (laughs) What do you like to eat? And he said it was always funny that they would start in a formal meeting hall, but they would always end up in their personal quarters or at their house. He told one story in particular about a leader in Eastern Europe where he said they were ushered in by armed guards. He said they were sat at the end of this 50-foot-long executive table, and he was confident that him and his kids were never going to leave that room again. He said they'd been sitting there for a while when the world leader came in and sat at the other end of this table. And he said, I'm more nervous talking to you than I would be if I was talking to President Bush. 
when I get nervous, I like to eat. He said it was comical that all of these doors just flew open and these cakes and ice creams and food just came flooding into this room. And they had this party with this world leader. It was after that meeting that the world leader said, you want to know what the difference between a friend and everyone else is? A friend doesn't just say things, but a friend does. In this new game that Jesus laid out, we strive to replace that word friend with follower of Christ. In this new game, we say that filled with the love of God, living the life that Jesus showed us, a Christian doesn't just say things, a Christian does. At the end of each meeting with the world leader, he would give him a box, and in that box would be a key. He would say, you have invited us into your world, and we now consider you our friend. This is a key to our front door, and we want you to know that you are welcome anytime. So they'd been home for a few months when they got an email from the world leader that they partied with in Eastern Europe. And he said, I miss you all so much. Can I come over for a sleepover? <laughs> you want to know what? He did. When we start playing this new game, we start expanding our definition of friend. We start showing that Christians aren't just people who say things. We start by showing that love is an action. We show that the hungry matter enough to feed them. We show that the hurting matter enough to hug them. We show that the sick matter enough to heal them. We show that our communities that are plagued with violence matter enough to actually help them. That's when we know we've started doing something different. That's when we know we've started playing this new game. Jesus did a lot in our story before he fled to the mountains to pray. He shook up our worldview. He introduced us to a new ball game that is so much more than just talk. He showed us that being a servant is so much more than being a king. So my question's the same. What game are you playing? Because Jesus would love for you to play by this new set of rules. And if we accept, if we choose to be servants over kings, it might just change the world. Now, on my way back from kids' camp a couple of weeks ago, I was having a legitimate argument with a fourth-grade girl about where Jesus was born. She was convinced that he was born in Kentucky. I kept trying to tell her that he wasn't. I'm not sure when the last time you argued with a fourth grader is, but they just, just dug her heels in and kept saying, yes, he was. And I even tried to rationalize with her at one point, and I said, little girl, <laughs> I have a master's degree in Jesus, and I'm like 99% sure he was not born in Kentucky. But she said something that I'll never forget. It was deep. She said, yes, he was. <laughs> there you go. And as I've been writing this sermon and I've been thinking about the story of the 5,000, the more I realized she might have been right. I think Jesus might have been born in Kentucky. I think he's born every day that someone says, enough with the old rules. It's time to play a new game. I think he's born every day we put someone else over ourselves. He's born every day we care for our neighbor. He's born every day we feed someone who is hungry. He's born every day that we decide that love is not just something we talk about, but it's something that we do. 
there's a new game waiting, but we have to choose to play it. Are you willing to play? Because it's a game that might just use you to change the world if you're brave enough to say yes.